We are starting the book of Ruth, and we've only got two weeks in Ruth. Isn't that kind of, you know, eh, that's okay. We've got a lot of great stuff on chapter one, and the other chapters will be great too. Um, but chapter one, let's just take a peek at back what we've been studying a little bit, because Joshua, Judges, and Ruth are many times all clumped together with commentaries because it was a time when they finally got into the land. So, thinking back then, with Joshua, the people were finally getting ready to enter the promised land. Moses was telling them, if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, there's going to be discipline. Joshua then gets them into the land, and he starts clearing out the major uh, obstacles that are in there, and they just needed to kind of clean up and sweep up stuff. Um, they needed to finish conquering the land because they weren't supposed to take on the ways of the other people that were living there. They were supposed to dominate. Well, there was this continual cycle of sin and repentance, sin and repentance, but God was always faithful. So, we, this was a, a bird's eye view of what was happening in the promised land with how it was dispersed and everything. Now, with Ruth, we're going to zero in on one particular family, okay? During this time of kind of a dark period, Judges ends with, um, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we see that today. See that today. So that was happening in the time of judges in the land of promise that was supposed to be abundant and, and people were supposed to be blessed. Um, and they would go astray from God and then God would raise up a deliverer, a judge to kind of bring them back around. And so it was just blessings and, and, and times of peace and, you know, um, um, oppression, and then times of peace, and back and forth. So this is a time here in Ruth. Now we're going to zero in on verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. So if there was a famine in the land, that means that we weren't in a time of blessing and obedience, right? If there was a famine in the land, that means that the people had gone astray again, and the uh, the uh, uh, anti-God um, worship of other pagan gods were taking over the land, and the and God's people were being, you know, uh, subservient to them, or or pushed off into caves in the hills or whatever. It was not a good time, and God was allowing judgment to come down, and there was a famine. So we zero in in the little town of Bethlehem here in Judea. And he was going to sojourn. The word sojourn means to leave with the intention to return. That's a sojourn. To leave, only temporarily, but the intent was we're going to come back. We're going to find out in verse 2 that Naomi's family stayed there. They remained there. So whatever was going on in this family, um, Elimelech's family, we're not sure, but he left the promised land, okay? Verse 2, the name of the man was 
Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. And they were Ephraites from Bethlehem in Judea. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. So there's a lot of names in here. Names mean something. Elimelech means my God is king. Naomi means pleasant. The two sons, Malan means, this is interesting, sick. And Killian means pining. So these two boys weren't really strapping, strong, healthy boys. They were kind of weakly, sickly young men. Um, and the Ephraites were from Ephraim, which means the city of Bethlehem in Judea. Bethlehem, interesting enough, it means house of bread. But in this house of bread, there was a famine going on. So they sojourned out of Bethlehem, pretty much going up into the hill and then dropping back down into Moab, crossing over the Jordan, whatever. And they lived there about 10 years in the land with the Moabites, okay? The Moabites, we go back into Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 to 6, we find out that the Moabites were forbidden to intermingle, to go to the temple, to participate with God's people because the Moabites were mean and did not let the Israelites pass through their land when they were journeying. So they had to go all the way around. And so because of that, the Moabites were restricted and could not enter into any of the facilities there. So there was a, there was a boundary put up with the Moabites. So verse 3 um, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, dies. They get out there, he dies. And she was left with two sons. We don't know how old they were when the dad died, but these two sons grow up and they take Moabite women, wives. One was named Orpah and the other one was named Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years and then the two boys died. So there was no father, no head covering. They were living outside their people. There was really no accountability. What would their dad say to know that these boys married Moabite women? This wasn't a good thing. So we can see in, in Naomi's life that there was a progressive movement away from God. Moving out of the promised land and then allowing the sons to marry Moabite women. She was moving in the wrong direction. Now, God allows things to happen to us to, to discipline and to pull us out. He didn't cause these things to happen, but he uses these things to have us come to our knees again and repent. So here she is, tragic, living in a foreign land with two young girls um, that are kind of her responsibility and no man to take care of them, no, no support, no um, um, security with any of that stuff. It was a tragic time for this family. Disobedience, things were not going well. Three childless widows, because there's no way these girls were going to be able to have babies, their husbands were dead, to have a, a son or, or uh, to grow up and take care of. So it was really a bleak hopeless, end-of-the-road time for Naomi. To be a widow in this time 
was to be among the lowest, most disadvantaged class of people because there was no one to support you. You had to live on the generosity of strangers. She had lost everything. Everything was gone. The further we move away from God, we know this, the worse worse life gets, doesn't it? You know, like how miserable are we going to be? And then we, we wait and say, I know what's wrong. I quit my devotional time. I know what's wrong. I got to get back in reading my Bible. I know what's wrong. I got to start talking to him again. I know what's wrong. We know. So the further we move away from God, life gets not so good. But he remains faithful to us. So she's at a point in her life where what, it, what is she going to do? She's out in the fields one day in verse 6, and then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return. I want you to notice how many times in this one chapter the word return is mentioned. That's the first time. She arose to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord has visited his people and given them food. So over the hills and whatever, or over the river, that, my gosh, they had food now in, in, back in Bethlehem. God's blessing them. So she set out, in verse 7, from the place where she was with her daughters-in-laws, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Right there in those two, one, each verse has the word return in it. What is that telling us, return? Naomi, if she... Um, was really bitter against God, do you think she would have returned? No. When we're in a bad place and we hear somebody else is being blessed, man, that gets under our skin and we can get bitter and we can get resentful and just start talking bad about him. Or we can realize, turn to God and say, wow, you know, I'm glad for you. Whatever, maybe I should kind of start moving this way. Naomi could have stayed in Moab and been bitter against God and angry. And I'm pointing this out because some of this writing in here can be leaned toward she was bitter against God. She was not bitter against God. She realizes what she was doing was because of her own choices. And so she decides to go ahead and go back there and to return. And that return is I'm going to go back to my homeland. I'm going to go back to a people that, that worships the one true God. I'm going to go back to my people. So in verse 8, Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, now they're pagans, right? They have no, they weren't raised with the Israelites. They didn't know anything. They just had pagan gods, and we don't know how long. Ten years they were there. The boys were young. We're not sure. It wasn't an extended period of time. But Naomi tells her two daughter-in-laws, go return each one of you to your mother's house, and may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt kindly with the dead and with me. So there was a, a special bond there, her and her girls, because the word deal kindly. She's wanting a blessing. She's wanting them to have a, a, a um, God to just love them and to to take care of them and to have grace upon them and unfailing love and devotion. The word is actually the same Hebrew word as said, which is deeds of mercy, 
performed by a more powerful party for the benefit of the weaker ones. So, so Naomi is actually asking God to really bless them um, and, and care for them. And she goes on to say um, that the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. This gives us a little picture of how God, what he planned marriage to be. Um, he wants these, she wants these girls to get married and find husbands back with a, in, a, in a culture that they're familiar with. God intends marriage to be a place on, of rest and peace and refreshment. What a great blessing to give someone who's just getting married to say to them, you know, that grant you that you may find rest each one of you in the house of her husband, a peaceful place of refreshment and um, enjoyment. So there's a lot of feelings in here. This is packed with emotion, um, saying goodbye, um, weeping and lifting up their voices. There was a, it was, it was heavy on their hearts, but Naomi, her love for them is evident um, and these girls are watching, particularly Ruth is watching Naomi through this time. She's in a dilemma, Naomi is. She's going to go back, and she's not going to have her husband or her sons, but she's going to be bringing back, if these girls come, two pagan women. How's that going to set, Right? So she's thinking about all of this stuff, okay? Verse 10, the girls say to her, No, we will return, third time, with you to your people. But Naomi said, No, turn back, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? I have no sons in my womb that you can become their husbands. You need to turn back. Go your way. I'm too old. I don't have a husband. I can't have any more children for you to marry. Because it was the culture, if a husband died, then the woman could marry a brother, a brother-in-law or something, or it could be a surrogate father or whatever. So she could still have children and kind of keep it in the family line. But that wasn't going to happen with Naomi. So she was thinking for at the best interest of these girls to get married, because to be a widow, it was really rough. Go back and find a husband from your own culture. I can't help you with that anymore. Um, No, my daughters, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Meaning that her heart was broken that these things had happened to her and her daughter-in-laws were having also affected by this because she had, there was nothing that she could do. It was like a dead end for all of that. So it was hard. I mean, if you stop and ponder what Naomi was going through, that was really rough. Not only that, she was looking at the hills there, crossing the Jordan River, um, climbing through those mountains and everything. It would have been nice to have companions with her to go there, but she, she just was trying to do what was best for them. The situation weighed heavily on her heart, probably some guilt involved too, 
um, if she never let her sons marry these girls and there wouldn't be a problem, you know, I mean, there was a bunch of, you know, all the what ifs that come up in life, you know, when we start playing with things. So how does this turn out? Um, she was not bitter against God. She was returning to him. She was repentant. She knew that her hope was in drawing closer to him, not going further away. So she wasn't accusing God of doing something wrong against her, even though it can be kind of sounds like that. Um, because again, she wouldn't be going back to him because if she was bitter and angry, she would move further away from God. And you can see people, especially who don't have a true faith, something bad happens. Well, it's all God's fault. Forget it. You know what? I'm, I'm out of here. And they shut the lid on God. But someone who has a true faith and a belief in God, they will eventually realize this has been on me. This has been because of choices or maybe something or God's trying to get my attention or he's doing something, but I'm not blaming him because I know he's a good God and I know he loves me and I know he's the only hope to get me through this. This was her mindset for this. She was returning to him, showing that she trusted the sovereignty of God and she knew that despite all the bad calamities that happened to her, he is a good God who blesses. That's her decision. And so in verse 14, then they lifted up their voices, the three girls, and wept again. But Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and pretty much said goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. She clung to her. She held on to her. She connected with her. Um, Oprah's decision was really about returning to the whole lifestyle that she had. And probably, I'm thinking, the lifestyle that Naomi had while she was in Moab wasn't very different than the Moabites she was living with. So for Oprah to kind of go and be, a, you know, hang out with the Moabites and everything and worship their gods and stuff wasn't going to be a big change. But there was something that Ruth saw in Naomi at this time that really struck her. She noticed the deep passion and love that Naomi had for her. And we know that love is a fruit of the spirit, a strong love. When we are connected with God, the, who is love, we have the almost supernatural divine ability to love on that level that someone who's spiritually dead doesn't have. She's noticing these things in Naomi. She's noticing a, a change, a repentance, a, a hope to go back. Um, so Naomi, while she was in Moab, compromising with her lifestyle, living not good because she was really mingling with the Moabites, which she wasn't supposed to. During that time, Ruth never confessed any kind of allegiance to the God of Israel. Yet, as soon as Naomi took a stand and said, I am going back to the God of Israel, even though these things have happened to me, and I'm going to put my fate in his hands, that's when Ruth stood with her. You see that beautiful picture there of that? 
So Ruth was willing to forsake all the Moabite gods. She was willing to just say goodbye to all that stuff that she had grew up with and embrace the God of Israel. She had decided to follow the Lord. So when we repent and we return to obedience, we, we start getting blessed again, don't we? When we start living life according to God, which is not according to the world, we live like the world, and if people look at us and see no difference between us and everybody else, if we watch the same TV shows and talk the same way and everything else the way the world does and no one notices there anything different about us, we're not going to win souls to God, are we? But the minute we do start living our lives filled with Christ, taking a stand, people notice there's something different about us, and that's when our testimony is there. That is, that is what happened in this moment's time. Probably about four miles out from Moab is when they stopped and started thinking, well, wait a minute, maybe you guys should kind of go back. I'm not so sure. And seeing that made that impact, and Ruth made her decision that she was going to follow the one true God. All right. Verse 15. She said, Naomi says to Ruth, your sister-in-law, she's gone back to her people. You go to return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Even her, do not urge me to, or to return from following you. I want to follow you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. She made a verbal commitment to follow God. Confess in our heart that Jesus is Lord and say with our mouth, she made a profession of faith there. And where you die, I will die, and where there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more, also, if anything but death parts me from you. This was a commitment to make a stand to follow the God that Naomi was representing there. So Naomi, in verse 18, (laughs) when she noticed that she was determined to go, well, she couldn't say anything else. She said nothing else. So there they're off, the two of them, verse 19. So the two of them, they go back to Bethlehem. This trip back to Bethlehem was harder returning than it was coming out. Coming out, the you know, there's rough terrain and stuff. They had to cross the Jordan, so therefore they had a, you know, there was some ascension and descension. But to go back, it was about 65 or so miles, took about six or seven days. They descended from Moab down into the Jordan Valley. They descended about 4,500 feet. But then they had to ascend again about 3,700 feet through the hills of Judea and go back over and get to Bethlehem. So these two women were traveling together. And we can't even comprehend that, right? I mean, we that's a lot of walking going on. When you're hiking on the trails or something, we have to sit down from time to time. So these women had six or seven days to just the two of them talk and share questions. You could just imagine maybe what they were talking about, the excitement, because Naomi had made the decision to return to God and just the, the blessings and the, and the hope that there was and the things that she could share with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, it must have been a really, really blessed time. 
So they arrive back in town. Here they come. When they came into Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, notice it's the women, they said. They said, that Naomi, that Naomi. <laughs> Little gossip thing going on. She stirred the town. The town was stirred up. It was thrown, not, you know, some of us might think it was an exciting, well, there was exciting, but not so much a positive. It was more of a stirred up, thrown into confusion, shook, a little distraught. What What's happening here? Naomi left 10 years ago with a husband and two little boys. Now, here's this woman that resembles Naomi because 10 years, a decade of hardships, that's going to age us, isn't it? One year of hardship ages us. Could you imagine a decade of aging us? And it's after marching back all those miles. And she has this pagan girl with her because, you know, they look different. And so they were very confused by this and distraught by it. Um, they, they weren't sure they recognized her. She left with a family. She's coming back like this. God uses sufferings and trials to make us more like him. This time in Moab was a testing of her faith. First Peter 1 6 and 7 says, Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, it, though is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Her faith was being tested in Moab. Like I said, she could have stayed in Moab. She could have remained bitter and just, you know, on the low totem pole socioeconomically. Or she could have realized, I know where my hope, I know where my, my, my lifeline is in the, in the one true God. So, unrecognizable. But listen to what she says. In verse 20, she said to them, because she knew they were all gossiping, is this Naomi, is this Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Again, that's just a reflection of that he allowed that to happen because he's sovereign because she really, you know, wasn't walking very close with him. I went away full. Interesting choice of words there. And the Lord has brought me back empty. I thought there was a famine in the land. And she's saying, I went away full. So what is she talking about there? She's not talking about food. She's talking about the fullness, the things that life can give us. A husband, family, those things. But I'm coming back empty, meaning he has stripped me of all the things that I put, made more important than him. 
or put value into. And I'm not saying that we need to be widows and lose our families in order for her to do this. But what is happening here is that she had a readjustment in her priorities and realized that what really matters, what really makes me full is a life honoring God. So he, she went away full of all the worldly things that she could have. And he let her see that these things aren't that important. And she's coming back now, empty of herself, ready to serve God. And we know after chapter 2, the rest of it is just filled with blessing upon blessing, more abundant than she could even imagine. Um, So, the Lord has brought me back empty of myself. So he can fill me with himself. Make sense? Okay. 22, verse 22. Um, well, I'll, I'll, you know, why in the end of it, verse 21, why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So it wasn't pleasant for her living there. She, they thought they would go to Moab and get fed or whatever and take care of themselves, and it wasn't. Empty promises. The world always gives us empty promises. It's never fulfilling. There's never satisfaction with that. And so she's back now in verse 22. So Naomi returned. I don't know. Was anybody counting? I think there's six of them in here. So Naomi returns, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. She has returned. She has repented. She has turned around almost. It's almost like a U-turn because she was going to Moab, and she went back. And that's a picture of repentance, returning, going back to her God. She had lost everything except what? One daughter-in-law. That's the only thing she's bringing back with her is one daughter-in-law. But through that one thing that she was allowed to keep, the one thing that she had left, God was going to bring unbelievable blessings. What a beautiful story this is. And they get back into town, into Bethlehem, which means house of bread, At the beginning of the barley harvest, beginning of the barley harvest, it's almost like when I was looking at this and thinking about it and realizing now this was such a turning point for her when she came back and how the rest of the story goes, how the rest of history goes. It's really how that rest of history goes with Christ. Um, The fields are white, for the harvest, John four thirty five. This is almost like the beginning of the barley heart, the beginning of the harvest that God is going to do as he prepares for his son to come and the harvest and the growth and the, the, the God pulling in his church, um, the beginning of this harvest here. Blessings of repentance. All the good that happens in the future chapters begins here with Naomi's godly repentance and honesty. 
And it will make a difference not only in Naomi's life, but in her daughter-in-law's life, and a difference in the destiny of the nation of Israel, and in our eternal salvation, this turning back. So when we repent and return to obedience, we are blessed and we're a witness to others. Um, it just kind of makes us ponder and do a self-reflection on, is my life one that really demonstrates that I'm following after the king? Or is it one that no one's really going to notice any difference because I don't really want to be stick out in a crowd or I want to fit in or I don't want to be called hate speecher or intolerant <laughs> or whatever they throw at us these days. But if we aren't living a life that is significantly different than the rest of the world, we're not going to be a testimony and, and win souls to God. I'm going to leave in a little early because it was short um, with a quote from one of my favorite guys, Spurgeon. Spurgeon says, we will never win any soul to the right by a compromise with the wrong. It is our decision for Christ and his truth that has the greatest power in the family and the greatest power in the world. We're never going to win anybody to the right when we compromise with the wrong. It's a great quote. God, help us to to have a, a desire to live for you. Help us to have a boldness to live for you. Help us to have a love that will find the strength to stand up when everything else is going against you. Not a anger or a resentment, but a love for you and for the lost that can help us to be your ambassadors in these days, to your glory. Amen.